when you have radical transparency like we have, there is always going to be a risk for conflict. And that's what we want. Mm-hmm. We want people looking at numbers saying, why, right? Mm-hmm. And But we want it to be healthy conflict. So one of the things that we're looking for is people that will resolve conflict in a healthy way. We like hard business people. We like hard charging business people. We like people that'll challenge us. We're mature. There's nothing you can say to us that's going to bother us because we're going to roll the tape and say, this is the true reality. And oh, by the way, you're right. So we're going to make this adjustment because it's going to make us better and it's going to make everybody better. And thank you for bringing it. But you've got to have this. That is Jeff Duden. He is the CEO of Homefront Brands. And what he's talking about right there is the business relationship between the franchisee and the franchisor. And when you're considering a franchise for the first time, that is not a one-way street. That's a two-way street because you're looking at them and considering that investment in them. They're also considering an investment in you, in their time, in their effort, in their energy to make sure you all can work together have that transparent relationship because this is a long-term relationship to build to get through the good times and the challenging times because those times do come like any other business on planet Earth. Now, you're listening to the CloseTheDeal.com podcast. I'm your host, Yul Smith, and we're talking with entrepreneurs and franchisors. And this is a special edition of Your First Franchise. Now, if you've ever considered a franchise, check out yourfirstfranchise.com. Now, let's begin the show. Jeff, I want to welcome you to the CloseTheDeal.com podcast. This is a special episode we do called Your First Franchise. And welcome to the show. You will. I'm so excited to be on. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. Yeah. And I tell you what, it's fun to have a fellow podcaster on the show. I'm looking at your signage. On the home front with Jeff Duden. How long have you been doing your podcast? We've been doing the podcast for six months, and it has been a huge learning experience for us. It's been it's been exciting. I think the biggest thing that it's done for me personally is it has reignited my curiosity. Yeah. And as I have guests on, and if they have a book, I'll order the book and. I'll read the book. So it's been a good exercise mentally for me to be able to do it. And I also think that we've ended up with some really good content and we're top 40 on Apple for entrepreneurship. So we've pounced up to there. YouTube we're working on, TikTok we're working on, but we've gone from eight downloads for the first episodes that we have up to now. We've got about a hundred thousand a month across all platforms. So it's uh, been, we've had some good success early, but there is much work to do. That's a fun ride, isn't it? It is. And I love doing it. I know you love it. No, oh. I'm, ex- oh. I love I'm excited to be a guest. I love the connection part of it. We're making Because you connect with people you never dreamt you would have otherwise. All right. Yeah. You've actually, to give you a shout out, you gave me a couple of great intros to a couple of great guests. And we've had one of them on. Yep. Diesel laptops. Yeah. And then there's two more that you gave me that we're still working to get on the show. Yeah. All right. I look forward to seeing when it comes for, come through. You yeah. need a little nudging. Let me know. You're a connected guy. Uh, you, we just rode your name in and came out with a win. All right. So you opened up the doors of hospitality to myself and a few other consultants uh, as a franchise consultant. And 
you welcome this, gave us a, a walk around your studio where you're sitting right there, a walk around your facilities, showing off the different brands for your franchise company. What are you, but when you're working with a vendor, you're trying to bring in vendors to support your franchise. If you were to take them to dinner in your market, where would you take them to do business? Boy, that's a tough question because there's places that are convenient. There's places that are really good food and then there's places that are fancy. But my, my first answer would be I'm a cook, so I would bring them to my lake house. Oh, I, I would cook steaks in a cast iron pan on my outdoor grill and I would do some asparagus with that for them. I would do some sweet potatoes <laughs> and all that. Now I do, I used to host a big New Year's Eve party and I would do a theme. So I would do New Orleans style. I'd cook a roux, I'd do a roux and I'd make the, I'd make some she crab soup oh, and all right. of that. So I just love to cook, but we do have a, a restaurant group here that's really good and everything that they do is called Duckworth's uh, mm -hmm. group. And there's a place downtown. It used to be like a speakeasy and it's down in the basement and it's called the cellar. And mm -hmm. it is the cellar at Duckworth's. It it's in Uptown Charlotte, mm -hmm. and that is when I have a go-to guest coming in from overseas or from out of town, and I want to impress them, I take that, it to the cellar. There you go. That's what I was getting to. That's, I, I, you know what? I love the hospitality part because you get it. You, yeah. You, you did it for us, for all of uh, the franchise guests. You all did a nice showing for us, all the great food, and, of course, the tour. All right. Well, it's different when you bring somebody into your home. Yes, it is. And Great. you serve them. It just... It's taking it from a business dinner to mm -hmm. uh, a, a, re a relationship. It says, I trust you to come into my house. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to be vulnerable and cook for you. And you can't do it for a, a huge party, right? But, but we do, anytime we get an opportunity to, to have people into the house for an event, we do it. All right. So my favorite question to ask people, I love talking about food, but my favorite question to ask people is, what are you grateful from the past? Who or what are you grateful from the past that helped you get you where you are today? Because you, and, and you say this, this is part of your mantra. Everybody has to have an adventure in their life. And you have had quite an adventure. So who or what influenced you along that adventure? I, first of all, I'm a big family guy. So I'm thankful for my family because they provide me purpose to do what I do and to get up every day and try to be my best, hold myself accountable to some sort of a standard at which we all fail mm -hmm. sometimes. And really, uh, there have been so many people along the way that at every level have either bought into what you're doing or maybe the opportunity to meet somebody that's ahead of you that can give you some guidance and give you some perspective and are willing to actually help you. And I had this conversation the other day. I've been in business a long time. I started a restoration business back in the mid nineties and I grew that for 24 years and ultimately had it franchised and sold it. And anytime that there was a challenge in the business and sometimes you're Sometimes you're in debt and you've got to make something happen and you're looking at the bank and you've got to, you know, you and your wife have to sign that paper that says, if you don't pay back this loan, the house is on the line and mm -hmm. you're signing guarantees and stuff. 
And whenever I've gotten to those situations, I really looked around the room at the people that were around us. And I said, am I willing to bet my house? Am I willing to bet my, my retirement, my kids' potential edu- college education on this group of people? Do I believe that when it gets tough, that we're all going to pull together and pull mm-hmm. on the oars in the same direction? And for me, the answer has uh, been yes from those people. Not, and so when people uh, help you in that way and they commit to what you're doing and what you're building, then you have an obligation back to those people to do the very best that you can for them, to give them education, give them experiences, give them opportunities and, and all of those things. So really, I'm a people guy. It's, there's all kinds of different CEOs. There's marketing CEOs, there's finance CEOs, and I'm a people guy. And I think that's why franchising for me is mm-hmm. such a good fit. Because we're not a, we're not a, a group of 2,000 employees. You're 200 franchisees and they have 10 employees and those 200 families that invested in your business. So it's really uh, the people piece in franchising is critically important and your ability to influence and lead and impact is very much determined upon your true interest in helping people achieve things. Now you cut your teeth and people drove you all, help carry you all along this entire journey. For that 24, 24, 25 year journey, building a business that turned into a franchise. I just want you to share a snapshot of you moving from North Carolina to Florida because you, our paths almost crossed at one point mm. post Katrina. Share a little bit about that and how that led you to the franchise piece. And then we'll get into your current business. Sure. Happy to. I was a high school athlete, ended up after a couple of different colleges, getting a football scholarship out to a little school on top of a a mountain in Boone, North Carolina called Appalachian State University. I came out there from Chicago. So a little culture shock for any everybody involved, but it was great. And when I was there, played football, started the painting business and that was a very successful entrepreneurial experience for us doing student housing apartment lease changes. A buddy called me after I graduated who used to paint for me and said, hey, this hurricane hit South Florida. I'm working for a company. I, I hadn't taken a job. We were still running the painting business. I had a girlfriend at the time. I was waiting for her to graduate. So I went down there, cut my teeth in South Florida in 1992 and 93, helping the people of South Florida recover from Hurricane Andrew. Moved up to Orlando, started my own business with three partners, up back up to North Carolina in 95. We grew that to be a, a national slash a little bit international restoration and remediation company and ultimately franchised that business. Originally in 2006, where we sold off our company stores in 2006, 7, and 8 under a franchise model, franchised it to the public in 2009. And ended up selling the business January 1st, 2019 with 240 locations in 37 states. Wow. And then you, and I know some things influenced you. I know as you were growing the business, you went to the franchise model because you were running yourself ragged trying to be there for your family. And that was, that was a way to, to solve that problem. So you could to, you know, grow the business, scale the business that way. Yeah. I had a moment and we were, I'd responded to Katrina. In yeah. 2005, mm-hmm. and I was driving home in the middle of the night. I had three uh, young children at the time, and I was missing my son's first football season. And it was just this epiphany that said, 
I, I was a guy that went to three colleges and I got a very good four-year degree in five and a half years. I wasn't disciplined early in my life and I realized that maybe history would repeat itself if I was never home and who knew what would happen to my family. And I was increasingly on the road. We were doing jobs in Hawaii and California and Canada and the Caribbean. So anytime anything goes wrong on a job or even when it's going, part of leadership is accessibility and showing up. So you have to show up on these sites. So I was doing that. So I just had this epiphany. I had been working on a franchise model since 2000 and lack of focus this is a Jerry Seinfeld, lack of focus need, leads to a lack of greatness. Mm -hmm. And we weren't, we were doing the business, but we were never able to focus on building the franchise company because we were so busy running our business. So I decided to sell our company stores under that franchise model in 2006, seven and eight mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, driving home through Atlanta to try to get to my son's football game. And Katrina was the tipping point. It sounds like for that. Now, and you said, uh, you cruise down the New Orleans area because that's, well, that's where we, our past, I was rebuilding an industry in the seafood industry. We had lost mm -hmm. all of our Louisiana people. What happened in New Orleans, I tell people, was rough. I tell what people what happened to our fishing communities was brutal. But we lost three of the largest fishing docks in the United States between Katrina and Reed and billions in lost sales. So we had to rebuild all that. Right. In the meantime, you're helping rebuild communities in our backyards. Right. And it took a village. It took everybody coming in to help, and that is much appreciated. So now, you so you sell the business. What year was it you sold the business? 2019. 2019. So how long was it till after you sold the business that I got to get back in business? What, what was the original plan? Was the plan to say, I'm going to take a, take a year off or five years or... Did you say, I can't do this? I got to get back. Look, my advice to entrepreneurs is you're never in a room that's big enough. Mm -hmm. And late in my career, I was a Vistage member. And then I joined a group called YPO. And when I got into YPO and uh, I realized that nearly everybody in there had sold the business, right? And I started thinking about, I'm going to be 50 soon. And if I want to do something again, I've given 25 years to this industry. I've probably learned, I've done... I was, it's not that I was bored with it. It's just, it was, I had done everything that I could do in it. <clears throat> and so I, I looked around and I said, I can sell the business. So I sold the business at 50. I had a great business coach from Vistage and he was the ex-president of Husqvarna North America. And he gave me this counsel. He said, whatever you do, re resist the urge to just do the same thing again, bigger, better, faster, and take at least six to 12 months off. So as a result of that advice, I took three days off and then I started building businesses <laughs> again. And, but I didn't, I, I took really an investor's posture. My brother, who was the CFO of the Carolina Panthers at the time, he had just helped Mr. Richardson sell the team to the Tipper Group, the largest transaction in sports history at the time, $2.4 billion. And he was ready for a change. So we got back together. We had to put some money to work and we took an investor and advisor posture. So we invested in some franchise concepts early stage. We invested in some franchise servicing businesses. We invested in lots of things through family office connections that had nothing to do with franchising. Mm -hmm. But then after a couple of years, you know, we were all the advising and consulting we were doing, it was coming back to this property services niche, the durability of property services and, and why. 100 million more people are going to be in this country in the next 25 years. We already have a housing shortage. There, there's an increased migration of people moving around the country because of remote work. 
the quality of the buildings aren't like they used to be. So they need more consistent repair. All of these things said property services, you're never going to find a home front brand stuck between a curves and a blockbuster. There's nothing trendy about home services and the people's need for housing and need for uh, repairs and improvements and all of these things. We had the vision. We asked ourselves if we could create the most responsible franchise platform that we could possibly imagine, what would be, what would that look like? Everything from people to enterprise level technology solutions, to intelligent territory design, to enterprise level customer acquisition and conversion to learning management systems. And we just really identified if we were a successful multi-billion dollar brand, what were the types of uh, people, processes, technologies, and centers of excellence that would exist inside of an organization like that? And because I've been in the franchise industry, participating in the IFA, literally speaking to hundreds of brands over the three-year period after I sold the business through my activities in a franchise sales organization and other things, like I, I had a really good view of what that would look like if you could just wave a magic wand. Now, the question is, would you have the courage to build all of that and invest in all of that and assemble the team and have the team assemble the, the, the infrastructure and the platform mm-hmm. before you started bringing franchise owners on in a large way? Because the reality of it is, is most franchise systems start real slow from a founder. And then what happens is as they accelerate and they start having success over years with franchising, they outgrow their systems and then they put their franchisees through pretty material switching costs. And so we would have to, if we were going to really do this, we were going to have the courage to do everything we said we were going to do and do it before this, we had this uh, huge bolus of brands coming on or franchisees coming on. And we also would need to go out and acquire to be able to afford it. You couldn't do it with one brand. So uh, we had that vision. We committed to it. And from November 2021 to really July 2022, we went out and we acquired six franchise brands, all of them very early stage, but as a franchisor, but had a long history as an operating business with good presidents and founders and high average unit volume and high sales. And we put them into this platform that we migrated them onto all of these systems that we were building. And then only then at the end of that year, which is about 12 months ago right now, did we go to market and start adding franchise owners into the platform. Wow. And all that is under the Homefront brand. That is Homefront brands. Yes. I'm curious. I always, I'll always love the origins of a brand. I'll show how you'd creatively name the color, had the colors for your first brand. (laughs) <laughs> Florida colors. That's right. What is the meaning behind the name Homefront Branch? When you start a business, if you just went to, if you were a consultant, they'd say, who is the first thing they'd want to say is, who is the customer? And franchise companies have two different levels of customer. They have end user customers that, so there has to be a market for these services, an addressable market for these services. But then there's also a franchisee customer. So if we looked across the businesses that had grown into the multi-billion dollar, very stable companies, they had pretty sophisticated franchisee owners that ran multiple uh, units of a business within a platform. So we knew that would be our customer. Like that's what we were looking for. So we had to build something that those people would find worth doing and that they could make 
get the kind of returns out of a business that, that they were looking for. So who is the customer? And then what is the problem that you're trying to solve in the marketplace? So for us, I'm a purpose guy, like mm-hmm. purpose is at the top of the house for me. I, I don't, what I found out when I sold my business is that I'm not overly, it's easy for me to say now, but I'm not overly motivated by money. I like to have, I like to do good things. I like to live well and all that kind of stuff. But to me, my lifestyle didn't change. Like Mm -hmm. after I sold the business, it really didn't change much. I didn't go out and do anything. I bought my wife and I upgraded her diamond. Hey, that's great. Mm -hmm. We moved. But like, other than that, it was table stakes type stuff. And for me to get motivated, I've got to be doing something that matters to me. So there was three things really. Number one, we care greatly about, about this widening wealth gap that's in the United States right now. It's a huge problem, Yule, that, that young people can't afford to buy a home. It's just, things are expensive. We've got this money we've pumped into the economy. Homes prices have doubled at the low end in particular. You know, what, where I used to go out and be able to buy, I bought my first house for $61,000. Now it's 400 grand. So how does a young person get into a house like that? You've got this widening wealth gap. And, and when you, when the middle class shrinks, it is bad for our country, right? 60% of all business is, is 60% of our GDP is delivered by small businesses. There's a huge percentage of that, not a huge percentage of it. There's a percentage of it that is from franchised small businesses. So for, for us creating this, trying to create generational wealth on Main Street USA and every city and town across and province state across North America was meaningful for us. But to be able to put these enterprise level type tools and deliver them to a local level so that people could build material businesses that they would be able to monetize and uh, give them freedom and security. So that was number one. Number two, we're very passionate about young people. When I came off the road and I started the franchise business, I wasn't traveling as much. And I was able to coach 30 seasons of my kids' sports. And that was everything from soccer to baseball to basketball to football. It didn't really matter. By the way, anybody out there, if there's an opportunity for you to coach, just say yes. I don't care if you don't know what you're doing. I've got another book called Hey Coach. Read that. It'll tell you how to do it. But And in doing that, getting to speak into these kids' lives and getting to to coach them and Building these little teams over a four-month period is not that different than helping a franchise owner build a small team to start a business. So, so I could draw the similarities there. And we're very concerned about children. The way that manifests in Homefront Brands is we've just partnered with Carson Scholars and in Candy Carson's company. It's a 30-year-old charity. And we just launched it at conference. Dr. Carson was there presenting on the on the Zoom with us there announcing the partnership and we're going to be building reading rooms in schools in partnership with persons of colors. Because here's the thing, like there's this old adage in manufacturing and it says the earlier in the manufacturing process that you can catch a defect, the cheaper it is to fix. By doing what we can around young people and providing resources for them, for the people that need it, that was another thing that was really important to us. And the last thing is helping transitioning veterans who need it. So we partnered also with Operation Homefront, great name because we're Homefront Brands. Um, and kind of Homefront Brands is making a stand where it matters right here on the home front. And all that ties to your company's values. And you, and, and you say that delivers on the, the brand promise. Yes. And, it, it, and even going to the different pieces of it, listening to you talk about 
impacting the kids' lives, catching them at it. My wife is in a nonprofit working with kids, and she says you got to catch them early, right out the womb, <laughs> to make mm. it, to make the impact. And then the veterans giving back. All those things that's your core values of your business. Let's talk about the brands you have under that umbrella because you're solving a lot of problems in the marketplace because you're in a service sector that's fractured. So you're bringing systems and processes and branding, marketing, all the tools that a franchise, a potential franchise candidate needs. Let's just run down the brands that you offer, just a high level of that. Well, we've got six total. We've got four that I'll speak about because those are the ones that are really moving for us. And by moving, I'll tell you that November of uh, 22, we had roughly 15, uh, 16, 17 franchisees with the brands that we acquired. And that includes the founder locations. And we will finish this year with a 175 franchise owners operating almost 500 territories. And I don't know this to be factually correct, but when I looked at other property service platforms and they put their quarterly numbers out there, we appear to be the fastest or one of the fastest property service platforms growing in North America. So we're, we're in, in, in that amount of time, we have grown to 33 states, wow. nine Canadian provinces, 175 owners. Again, operating in about going to be about 476 territories or something like that. So that's, so imagine, so we've gone from nine employees two years ago to 28 at the end of last year to 60 now. And we're launching 70 businesses with these incredible franchise uh, partners in, in the, just in Q4 alone. So it's not playing checkers. It's not playing chess. It's playing that three dimensional chess they used to play on Star Trek, right? It's, but we've got some of the best talent. We ran out and got some of the best talented leaders in the industry who have worked at and built multi-billion dollar, multi-brand franchise platforms. It's challenging and it's exciting. And we just pulled off our, an incredible conference just this week here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Those four brands. So Temporary Wall Systems is a brand where we provide, it's a rental business where we provide rentable high-end containment walls that are used when there's been an event or construction or something going on. A lot of times in airports, medical facilities, retail locations, malls, anytime that you want a high-end, easy-to-install, sustainable product. Because if you build sheetrock walls, it takes you two or three days to build them, to paint them, to sheetrock them and all that. And then you tear it down and it fills up landfills. Ours go up in a matter of hours and then you tear them down. The people don't have to own the inventory because we own the inventory. We rent it to them. They call us. We're out there right away, moving around and, and do whatever. So that's temporary wall systems. Top rail fence yep. is another one having great success in a relatively fragmented industry, very, very high average unit volumes in that business, very fast revenue ramps in that business. So our top rail fence products or uh, uh, businesses going well, and it's all kinds of agricultural, residential commercial, all kind, any kind of fencing that you need is what Top Rail Fence will provide. Uh, the third one is something called the Designery, which is a very cool concept. So small retail footprint, very small, 800 to 1200 square feet. It's like an Apple store in there with uh, big monitors. And then on the walls is all different. It's cabinets for kitchens, baths, closets, 
So basically you can go in there and you can look, see, and feel the product and then you can get connected with a designer. But what's cool about that is we also have what's called teledesign. So we have franchise owners that are doing revenue and a lot of revenue before they even get their store finished and open. Cause we're doing as a function of our sales center, which is part of our enterprise level customer acquisition support. We have teledesigners that can engage with customers and do their design. And then, yeah, so that's really cool. And then we have an exterior house washing, window cleaning, gutter guard, gutter cleaning business called Window Hero. All right. No small feat pulling this off. It's decades, few decades of experience pulling in people with decades and decades upon experience. What's the biggest challenge you've, you face doing this or you have faced doing this? And it's also, it's also creates the opportunities because you, you're tackling something that's not easy to do. Yeah, it's interesting. That question gives me a little bit of pause because it's gone, it could have gone so much worse in so many ways. But what I will tell you is, and it's not just for home front brands, but it's for everybody in the street. Mm-hmm. It's marketing. And it's yeah. now it's not our standard marketing plans. It's not the fundamental things that get done. It's mainly the online paid stuff. I've talked to the industry leading marketing company that does that does it for many large franchise platforms. They also do it in the law space and the dental space. I've talked to other chief marketing officers at, at the other multi-billion dollar platform. We're not one, but multi-billion dollar property platform. So the, the sense of what happened is everybody incorporated these AI tools. And as a result of that, could create a lot of content fast. And that really... F- so the content you would create that would drive your SEO or your ads that you would place and that would drive your pay-per-click and these types of things, there was just this, the search engines, all of a sudden, they're getting all of this new and excessive type content and they're trying to sort it and say, is it real? Is, yeah. is that an AI? Is that what it is? And it, across the industry, it drove up cost per lead and it really impacted the normal and things like that. Every, like the Panda thing, 2014, there's things that happen in online marketing and digital marketing that it's, everything's going along smooth. And then some change comes out and it's, it gets tacky for a little bit while until everybody figures out how to do it. All of the search engines and Facebook and everybody figure out how they make even more money from us on doing it because really that's what it is. They make a change and then everybody has to spend more and they make more. So that gets right back down to one of our first values. You mentioned our values. Our first value is community, right? Mm-hmm. If you work our 90-day plan, when, we, you, when you come to us, you leave training with a marketing plan, mm-hmm. you leave training with, a, with an approved business plan, and you leave what's called our 90-day sprint. So each business has communities that you need to be known in that are going to refer you business. And uh, you know that, so it's a customized plan by brand, and the people leave here, and they go out and execute that plan. Because referral business or business that contract like business that doesn't rely upon you buying another lead to get it over, that's what makes good businesses great. So there's still people that want a human connection and there are so many places to go for all of our brands to get work and you just got to go out and you got to do the work. Back in the day, it used to be like that was the business plan and then the digital stuff was secondary. Well, we've gotten to where the digital stuff is now. A lot of people look at it as primary and it's definitely important. It's only a portion of a comprehensive customer acquisition strategy. But marketing 
uh, this year has been a challenge for all of us in the industry. I think it's really important for anybody who's considering a franchise to understand that because when, they, when they're, tr- mm. they're trying to start their own business and they're trying to figure out how to start a business, how to do the marketing, how to do the networking, all those pieces together, it's tough. That's where you all come in and you have all, and you got a team figuring this out, supporting all your franchisees. There's only one business I know that operates like an ATM. It's the ATM business. You can rent those. So let me ask you this. What other services do you provide for your franchisees on the back end to help them? Because you just laid out the roadmap for their success on the marketing side, because marketing drives the attention and so forth. Yeah, we're a big net promoter score company. So we survey our franchisees every month. So we make sure that we're always uh, got our ladder leaning up against the right building. And we're always working on the the problems uh, or the the things that need improvements. One of the things that, that's highest reviewed in our company is our learning management system. We brought in an executive from a 5,000 seat company, with 20 years of learning management experience a year and a half ago now, and started building online learning management for uh, the franchisees to utilize. So that's been a big thing. So even before you come into training, you're going through the learning management system. You're, you're, you have to complete those modules to come into training. You come in, we have a very comprehensive in-person training, includes sales role-playing, all the technical production aspects of it. And then when you leave with a marketing plan, we're building, we're standing up your local website. So then the marketing, the lead generation, the 90-day plan, accountability coaching to that 90-day plan, also getting you in peer groups, working together with connecting you with other franchisees that might want to give you some encouragement and answer some questions from peer perspective. And then an ongoing perspective, we have a lot of stuff that's centralized. So all of that runs into a sales center, which Mm -hmm. then gets translated into an enterprise level solution. So we do inbound uh, call answering, appointment booking. We do outbound calling. We do national account management inside of our call center. So soliciting national accounts for, for our businesses and then also kicking the jobs out there. And then all of that goes into a very sophisticated platform environment to where Every franchisee has live dashboards and we're radically transparent. If you don't want all of the franchisees in your brand to see every number about your business, including 16 KPIs, sales closing percentages, return on all of these types of things, then that's, we're probably not right for you because continuous improvement, it it is absolutely required that you are looking at truthful data, not anecdotal things, right? Serving that data up to the people is, it just takes all of the supposition out of it. And we're able to provide sophisticated dashboards that are live and up to date for all of our franchisees. You've just explained uh, why franchising works. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Really good. So you summed it up pretty good. All right. What is the vision for your business? going forward. I started with saying, who's our customer? And and a lot of our people, many of our customers uh, would consider themselves to be dynasty builders. We just left conference and people were very interested. And we have a precedent for people operating more than one of our brands. And, and, and if you think about it, what we did was since we migrated them all onto the very same or similar tools, once you learn how to operate inside of a home front brand business, mm-hmm. adding another business, there's a very small learning curve. So it gets back. So they can yeah, we have to continue to add brands because the people here are looking for additional opportunities to build right. inside their market. Yep, that makes and sense. once we get a new brand, we'll reach out to qualified franchisees and ask when, and they have to be performing well 
and they have to be performing comfortably and it's not going to be a fit for everybody all the time. If you're a first time business owner, you've got to, you got to put that business owner suit on and you got to do it. But so we're going to continue to add brands. Probably there's no particular cadence around it. They have to be, they have to be conforming to us, meaning they've got to have certain financial performance requirements in terms of top line and bottom line. We're looking, there needs to be addressable market for customers that we think we can capture. Something needs to be relatively fragmented that a system like ours can provide advantage in creating leverage to, into acquiring customers and that, and then just stay true to our values. Be one of the things that's interesting is in our, our president of the franchising, Michael O'Driscoll, he's a stoic, right? He's been doing this for 37 years. He's worked for five multi five brands at a C level. And he actually created the franchise finance program for Citibank and rolled it out to 14 countries over nine years. So very experienced guy. And he, he, where there's, we put the franchisee at the center of everything that we do. And it seems subtle, but significant mm-hmm. in terms of when we're doing things, there's companies that do things and they don't even consider necessarily the real impact to franchisees. So if it's not something that's going to provide an efficiency or leverage or something to the franchisees, that's always the first consideration is like, how does this help make them better? You you can lose sight of that. People read their own press clippings and they get real excited about themselves. Then they break some of these fundamental rules of franchising, which are if you're paying attention back 40 or 50 years and you look and see where companies got in trouble, like there's fundamental rules of fairness in franchising that are time tested. And you have to be careful when you're building something that you are paying attention to those things. So yeah, so that's, we want to make sure that we, we take a very humble approach to what we're doing. If you look at all of our social media, we don't, we are talking about franchisees all the time because they are at the center of what we do and that will never change. What's the ideal customer? What do you consider the ideal? One that has paid us. Are you talking about an end user customer or a franchise? I'm sorry, franchisee. For somebody considering to become a franchisee. Look, there's things that you can look at. So the other way to ask that question would be is, why do franchisees fail, right? Mm-hmm. Franchisees fail when they're undercapitalized. So you want to make sure that when people are starting a business, that they're properly capitalized and they don't have to immediately start taking 10 or $20,000 a month out of the business to pay for a lifestyle that they're not going to be willing to change right? if the business doesn't come up to generate enough money to cover that right away. The worst thing I've seen people do is go get a SBA loan and then start paying themselves $15,000 a month and not use it in the business. So making sure that people are properly capitalized. And then now it gets down to what is the, were, were their expectation, were their expectations set about what their commitment to the business and what they were going to have to do. Are they operating the business? Are they, are they operating the business? But I'm going to keep my job for a little while, mm-hmm. right? People's lack of focus, right? So you want people, to, you want to make sure that there's an adequate focus on the business, whether it's the main franchisee, a partner, a sp- like who's running the business because you want it because it's, you got to expect everything's going to take twice as long as they might think. And other people have had great results, but other people may have focused on their business. And then there's this little thing about resolving conflict in a healthy manner. When you have radical transparency like we have, 
there is always going to be a risk for conflict. And that's what we want. Mm-hmm. We want people looking at numbers saying, why? Right. Mm-hmm. And, but we want it to be healthy conflict. So one of the things that we're looking for is people that will resolve conflict in a healthy way. We like hard business people. We like hard charging business people. We like people that'll challenge us. We're mature. There's nothing you can say to us that's going to bother us because we're going to roll the tape and say, this is the true reality. And oh, by the way, you're right. So we're going to make this adjustment because it's going to make us better and it's going to make everybody better. And thank you for bringing it. But you've got to have this uh, trust relationship to be able to have those types of conversations and then move on from them. You You can't get egos get in the way when you're talking about facts. So those are some of the things that we look for in, in what makes a great franchisee. And then there's, if they have a servant-like part where they figure things out, they have success, and then they come to conference or they get on a monthly call and they're willing to get on there and say, here's what I learned for those of you that are new. And I wish I would have figured this out or I would have connected this dot, but I'm going to tell you right now, and it's going to help you be better faster. People that truly want to be part of building the tribe, mm-hmm. it always comes back to them in the best ways. We coach our franchisees to hunt in packs. We coach them to help one another and that a rising tide lifts all boats. All right. One parting word of advice. Uh, how do you, what, what's the one thing you share with somebody to reach their potential in the franchise business so they can realize the possibilities of what, what's out there? Brother? Nothing is all good or all bad. And anything left alone always goes from bad to worse. First rule of football, pay attention. First rule of business, pay attention. And then take action. I love it. Jeff, this has been a lot of fun. What are you going to do with all this extra content? I'm now the longest podcast. Well, you are. Are you going to cut this? Not a minute of it, because you'd be providing so much value here. This is a masterclass for somebody who's considering getting into the franchise business. The call to action, I want to thank you for being here, but the call to action is for me to invite anybody who's interested in any of your brands to come reach out to me at yourfirstfranchise.com, hit the contact us button, or DM DM me on uh, LinkedIn, and I'll get in touch with you. Jeff, I can't thank you enough. This has been invaluable. Your insights are, your experiences speak volumes, and uh, your insights are just gold. So I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate your friendship as well. Thanks. Yeah, Samuel. Gl- honored to be in business with you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on. All right, sir. I appreciate it. All right, thanks. And that is a wrap with Jeff Duden. As usual, folks, I want to thank you for being part of our community, the CloseTheDeal.com community, special episodes of Your First Franchise. And if you're considering a franchise, check out YourFirstFranchise.com, YourFirstFranchise.com. And if you're interested in one of the brands that Jeff discussed, talked about, and you you understand the value that his company brings to you, get in touch with me. Go to yourfirstfranchise.com, hit the contact us button, fill out the form, and I will be in touch with you. Now, you know the drill. Be intentional and make today a great day. Bye-bye.